Rod Stewart, live at Three Arena. Friday 18th and Saturday 19th of November. Tickets available now. Presented by Aiken Promotions. Live music updates on RTE Radio 1. The Right Price Tiles and Wood Flooring Half Price Sale. Save up to 50% off all tiles, wood flooring, bathware and stoves. Want more savings? We'll even pay the VAT on all your purchases. But hurry, it's for a limited time only. Right Price Tiles and Wood Flooring Half Price Sale. And we'll even pay the VAT. Stores nationwide. Sale now on. On the way soon, our Summer Series Second Captain Sunday. That's after the news. This is RTE Radio 1. It's 10 o'clock. RT News on Radio 1 with Jan O'Connell. A very good morning. More than 30,000 products were not allowed to be sold in Ireland because of safety concerns during the 14 months up to December. The goods were prevented from entry by the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission. Kieran Evrin has this report. In its annual report, the Commission noted from its investigations that one of the most common type of cartels involved bid rigging, a form of fraud in which a commercial contract is promised to one party, even though for the sake of appearance, several other parties also present a bid. The Commission said it was exploring the possibility of introducing a screening programme for public procurement, which systematically searched for indications of bid rigging. It said it received over 3,500 communications communications relating to the motor sector from consumers last year. These included complaints about car clocking and the sale of crashed cars. The Commission said it was working to ensure that traders complied with relevant legislation and that consumers were able to make better informed purchasing decisions. The Minister for Sport, Shane Ross, has insisted that there must be an independent voice on any inquiry into the ticketing controversy at the Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro. Mr Ross is due to hold a meeting about the issue with the President of the Olympic Council of Ireland, Pat Hickey, in Rio de Janeiro tonight. The Minister questioned the Council's own inquiry into the allegations and said he would propose that an independent individual participate in its investigation. He said he expected his meeting with Mr Hickey to be tense. Five teenage boys who escaped from the Oberstown Young Offenders Detention Centre in Lusk in North County Dublin have been apprehended. The boys, aged between 15 and 17 years, left the centre armed with bats and golf clubs shortly after 6 o'clock. Garda Air and dog units were deployed. All five teenagers were found and returned to the detention centre last night. RTE Radio 1 weather with Aer Lingus. With over 100 routes throughout Europe, including Faro, Malaga and Barcelona, when smart wants choice, smart flies Aer Lingus. It'll be generally dry and cloudy today. There'll be sunny spells. Isolated light showers are likely, mainly in parts of the north and west. Highest temperatures will range from 17 to 21 degrees. And that's it from the newsroom for now. Jan O'Connell, now on RTE Radio 1, it's Second Captain Sunday. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So he's almost like having a second captain, isn't he? Second captain, first captain, whatever. I never got on those, those, those boys. 
Good morning, you're very welcome to Second Captain Sunday. Oh, my debit here with Murph and Ken. Morning, Murph. Morning, Ken. Good morning, morning man. I'm pretty good. It's going to take something spectacular for the opening day of the Premier League season to steal some of the limelight from the Olympics in Rio, but I reckon Gary Lineker following through on his promise to present match of the day in his boxers probably did the trick. This is a pledge that he made in the heat of the moment last season should his beloved Leicester City win the league. They did their part. Most of us went about our summer and forgot about all this nonsense until the BBC started promoting the hell out of it during the week. And there he was, half ten last night, standing front and centre of the studio, rattling through his usual flawless intro, making no reference whatsoever to the fact that he was staring at us in just his underwear. I I felt he really owned it, Ken. He did, but but Gary Lineker, I suppose, is uniquely equipped among... um, sports presenters in their mid-50s when it comes to, uh, (laughs) you know, semi-naked presenting. He always has had a a magnificent physique on naturally hairless as well, (laughs) which, uh, I mean... uh, Hold on a second, hang on a second. As a hairy man, I have to take umbrage with this. There would have been an issue if there was a hairy uh, body. Well, a lot of people are disgusted by by that. (laughs) By myself and my ilk. You are are a hairy man. But but if you were, you know, a professional uh, athlete Mm -hmm. these days, I think you'd come under uh, ferocious peer pressure (laughs) to become a smooth man. Yeah. Uh, And Gary Laker always has been. It's something Paul Gascoigne uh, remarked on, the smoothness of Gary Lineker's body. It was so smooth that I fancied him. I used to see him getting a massage after the game, and I thought, wow, he's beautiful. <laughs> uh, that was, that was Gascoigne back in the day, and Lineker's still... Uh, yeah, but Lineker was 28, say, at that time, or 31 or 32. He's 55 now. Would you would you be happy enough to be in that shape at 55 years of age? Yeah, I would. Although, uh, what kind of sacrifices does he have to make? See, we don't know. You know, we're only seeing the, um, you know, the, the, the outcome, but we're not seeing what's gone into that. I mean, I don't know if if I if I saw it all. I mean, is Gary Lineker just eating, you know, a green? Does he only eat green foods? How many hours of sit-ups does he have to do a day? Only if I had all that information would I be able to make the decision as to whether it's worth it. The most disconcerting part was when he threw to the first match and then it came back to do the highlights and he was just sitting there analysing the mm. first game in his boxes before deciding ultimately to put some clothes on. But uh, well done, Gary Lineker. I'm just thinking, though, we were talking Orlando Bloom paddleboarding but naked last week. Now it's Lineker and his boxers. It's no wonder Dick Spring isn't sure whether this is his type of show. No, seriously, Ken, we've asked Dick Spring on the show, but he has his reservations. <laughs> Dick, if you're listening, we still want you. It's normally more highbrow than this. Yeah, we want you on the programme. More uh, more nude n- uh, news now, though, on, uh, because Scott Evans, what an entertainer. I think we all fell a little bit in love with the uh, Irish badminton player late last night. So he was playing a kid from Brazil from a favela a couple of miles from the Olympic Centre. This sort of story that it's quite easy to get behind. Uh, and his uh, his uh, uh, fellow Brazilians did indeed get behind this kid. For some reason, uh, so the crowd was unbelievably partisan, for some reason the slightest delay in Scott Evans getting into position to play the point would lead to a chorus of boos. Every <laughs> tiny reaction by Scott to him winning a point got a load of boos all throughout the game. So what do you do at the end of this game? You know, the crowd have got involved... You know, it's been a little hostile. But hey, you know, I'm Scott Evans. This is the Olympic experience. You know, you probably just politely applaud the crowd and then go into your dressing room and celebrate a job well done. But that's not what Scott Evans did because he whipped his top off, Cristiano Ronaldo style, and rubbed their hometown noses in it. <laughs> Uh, I haven't seen a man take that much delight in goading an entire stadium of fans who want to kill him. <laughs> I haven't seen that in a long time. I've never seen it in badminton before. Mm. I mean, I did play yeah. some badminton, you know, in my younger days. I, I didn't know that, but maybe that's... Well, it's not necessarily the kind of thing you brag about, but uh, <laughs> I did play in St. Jude's JEA Club for, for a few years, and the gentlemanly ethos of the game 
uh, would have suggested to me that this sort of thing didn't have a place. But I met Scott Evans uh, at the last Olympics. I mean, this is his third Olympics. Uh, I interviewed him in, in London. And one of the things that he really wanted to, the point that he really wanted to make... Is that he loves taking his top off. No, is that nobody ever covers badminton. Why do you never cover this sport? Well, they're talking about it now. <laughs> Kids running out this morning to play badminton. I mean, you'll have to, you'll actually have to prize those uh, those uh, uh, rackets from their cold hands There's by no the end word, of this evening. Yeah, no word yet on whether Gary Vinegar's wardrobe policy is going to spread across the BBC, by the way. If so, you could see our guest this morning presenting the next Robot Wars or Mock the Week wearing nothing but a pair of O'Neill's GA shorts to cover his modesty. He's one of the top broadcasters in the UK, one of the biggest and best comedians around and a huge, huge sports fan. Can't wait to get chatting to Dara O'Brien on the show today. It's going to be great. Big day in Dara's career, obviously, as he throws his hat in the ring to become Ireland's greatest ever non-sports person, sports person. Murph, give us the current set and Captain Sunday this Sporting Life leaderboard, please. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So a couple of people have been getting in touch grumbling about how Gabby Logan could possibly be leading our league table of Ireland's Greatest non-sports person, sports person. But she competed in the rules of Tralee, people. So give me a break. She's on uh, 88 points. David O'Darty is next with 85 points. Des Bishop lies in third on 77 points. Peter Coonan on 71 points from last week. And Lenny Abrahamson is bringing up the rear on 70 points. So that right. is the top five into which Daryl Breen will attempt to break. No Dick Spring on there, no. I'm just thinking if we put Dick on in advance, maybe it will increase our... Well, yeah. Well, I mean, well, how about we say Dick Spring is... Going in with 80 points. <laughs> and if he agrees to come on the show, yeah. then that's probably another 10. The O'Donovan brothers may have been the big Irish stars this past week, but the second captain's prediction for new Irish Olympic superstar this week is Natalia Coyle. She finished in the top 10 in the modern pentathlon in her first games in London 2012. A World Cup winner earlier this year in the mixed relay, and she's extremely sound anytime we've talked to her in the past. So we're going to cross over to Rio and Team Ireland to chat to one of our big Irish hopes of week two, Mead's Natalia Coyle. will join us a little later. We're always happy to hear from you on Twitter at Second Captains email secondcaptains at rt.ie text 51551 we're just moments away from having Dara O'Brien on the programme I'm excited this is Second Captain Sunday
Yeah, another girl, another planet by the only ones there on Second Captain Sunday. The Premier League season is underway. The second All-Ireland Hurling semi-final is on later today after last night's classic between Kilkenny and Waterford. And we've got a medal on the board in Rio 2016 with hopefully a few more to come. I think it's fair enough to declare this the biggest sporting weekend of the year. Murph, you're okay with that? Yeah, I can handle that. That sounds good. With that in mind, we're delighted to call him one of Ireland's biggest sports fans as our guest this morning. We've been dying to talk to him for ages. Dara O'Brien, welcome to Second Captain Sunday. It's a pleasure to be here, lads. Yeah, and obviously I'm the... The clear choice for the largest sporting weekend when you could have chosen anyone from any sporting endeavour at all. Yeah. And me, me instead. Okay, well, great. Let's talk. Let's just, yeah, let's break this thing down. Let's Where break do it. Where do you want to start? Yeah, let's break it down. Well, in fairness, Michael Phelps didn't take our call this morning, Dara. I've got to just be clear on that. So uh, you're our you're second, second choice, but, second, it's, I'm, but it's I'm, got, I'm second to Michael Phelps. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And I can only imagine the distance between when he touched the wall and when I came flapping in behind. <laughs> have you been sucked in by the Olympics so far? I am every time. I, uh, to the extent that I have idly checked whether it would still be possible to fly to Rio <laughs> and get seats, because it's clearly nobody's attending anything. Uh, and like I went overboard on, on the London thing and attended everything I could. Uh, and got about like at nine, ten different events uh, in over the course of the two weeks. But here it seemed like that would be very easy to achieve. Um, and that it would be it's really only the case of getting the because uh, no Americans apparently are attending so therefore there'll be hotels uh, the flights might be the awkward thing but yeah this I, I would happily be there and at some stage when my goddamn children aren't dragging me behind uh, with their need for a different type of holiday uh, then I can just drag them along to it possibly Tokyo or possibly whatever the one is after Tokyo I completely went for this in four years ago and I, yeah, I'm, I'm all about the Olympics Yeah and there's been so much cynicism coming into this one and uh, rightly so for a lot of reasons but I must say just when the events start happening it's, I, think it's, I think I can speak for the boys here that you, you do just tend to get sucked back into it and it's I mean only the coldest heart can't be warmed by the likes of I saw you tweeting about Fiji for example, oh, winning the rugby sevens. How great was that? Yeah. I mean, also just, how rare to see a complete shellacking. To see just somebody taken apart. Uh, that you, you very rarely, like in football, everyone's kind of savvy to it now. The, uh, I mean, I was comparing it to the dream team in the USA, the basketball dream team in 92, when it was, you know, it, the music of the Harlem Glowtoes faintly in the background, and they were like winning 127-16 and stuff like that. It was, uh, and, but it was just, to see just that level, that step between, yeah, we're Fiji and we own this sport, so well done for getting this far, but we're just going to hammer you. The, uh, and it was, I was saying, I think Antwerp was saying that this would be, I was trying to think, it would be if they introduced hurling into the Olympics, <laughs> that we would have one clear year of just mullering people. <laughs> and how much fun would that be? Yeah, I mean, and it is Fiji as well. I mean, you know, without uh, going delving too deep into the geopolitics of, uh, you know, it's Oceania. I mean, I don't know that Fiji have met a massive amount of enemies over the years. So, I mean, it is, it is a, a very easy team and a very easy country to get behind. 
Yeah, listen, so they say, uh, like an island nation of 900,000 people, generally regarded quite benignly, unfortunately probably have to export most of their sporting stars elsewhere, have suffered a few hideous, um, like there was a kind, of a, uh, a kind of a natural disaster earlier on in the year, like very bad storms in which so the country was plunged into tragedy earlier on in the year, something that was explained to us by Claire Balding during a poorly timed, um, a, I don't know if you saw this, it came back to Claire and... The, the British rugby team became second were there and so the audience started applauding wildly because they because presumably the floor manager said okay we're back we're back clap, 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 clap. as Claire explained about the terrible natural disaster that occurred in Fiji earlier on in the year and therefore <laughs> the, con- the emotional context of the thing and you're going oh that's that's a breakdown of communication there. Uh, but then if you're going to broadcast for 24 hours from, <laughs> on, on 20 different channels occasionally the tone will go askew Did you catch Ireland's new heroes the O'Donovan brothers? Yeah, I did. And, and, you know, hats off to the lads, an, an incredible achievement. I have seen their interviews. And, like, I can see why, you know, people are, are amazed and astounded because they haven't seen a GA interview before. <laughs> uh, and they haven't seen two lads who are a bit of a character, you know, given the character stuff. They, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, have anything other than Goodwill because of what they've achieved is astonishing. But, you know, the whole Asher, Asher, Asher thing, you know, it's a bit like when we're watching the, um, when we're watching all these videos of, of the Ireland fans being, like, insufferably charming across France during the summer where you're going ah listen I'm glad we're, the world is loving us for this but like Jesus <laughs> isn't this the same kind of ah how you, how you, how you stuff that we find irritating ourselves the Louis Vellon but God you know that stuff like ah Jesus now, would you stop going on about the rowing you can see them <laughs> how they've become a bit of a in, in Skibbereen until 20 minutes for that oh jeez the bloody O'Donovan's go banging on about rowing again do they ever <laughs> shut up the two of them and now it's Obviously now, now, but uh, no, they've been they've, they've been delightful. Well, they dropped uh, Chucky Erlaw into the RT interview, but then oh, when they were geez. when they were speaking to, uh, to I presume it's John Inverdale. Yeah. They did. They did stress at the start of the interview. We'll have to be careful what we say in front of these lads. So these, these, these guys being, you know, being the BBC, the world, yeah. I suppose. these guys are master media performers already after only four interviews. <laughs> There was an interview once I remember with uh, I, I can't remember to Claire Balding again. Claire Balding at, at the Grand National um, interviewed a it was an Irish horse that won the Grand National some years ago, coached by an Irish man, uh, ridden by an Irish man, Irish family owned it, um, and they're all there. And Claire goes up to him, not realizing that we are not this kind of avuncular thing that, that, that she's been fed for many years. And she goes to the owner to get a few words. Oh, John, congratulations. And the man literally man has... Ah, no, 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 I, I, no, I'm no talking now. I'm no talking now. <laughs> and pushes Claire Balding down the line to <laughs> shove her away. Behind her was yelping and jumping up and down and, and, and all that stuff, like whatever. But doing the very kind of... You know the thing that we, we're, actually really, we're, we're actually really bad at talking, but, but we have this strange national reputation for being really, really charming. But actually, it, it's like every, you know, interview that I played, oh, no, no, I, I'm not the man to do, to do it at all, like whatever. Yeah, so yeah, they're, they're, they're that breath of fresh air because I think they either have or haven't been heavily media trained. <laughs> well, the highlight tonight, uh, certainly from a worldwide point of view, is going to be Usain Bolt's, well, it's 2.25am Monday morning, uh, Irish time. And uh, he's gone for the, the three in a row here in the Olympics. He already, already has his legendary status do you consider the 100 metres the greatest race on earth like most people? Yes, 
yes I do yes I do I'm, I'm completely suckered in and I was captured by this I stayed up late uh, when I was 16 to watch uh, 9.79 to watch uh, the 88 race oh wow uh, and in fact stayed up if I remember it was it was I was in school the, the following morning but I was allowed you get, I was woken I think by my dad um, uh, where I'd fallen asleep on the couch uh, to see the race there's a, sli- was, there's a slight asterisk beside that result now uh, well, I've heard I've heard <laughs> I didn't follow the rest of the Olympics <laughs> <laughs> was it contested? It was contested the, um, by, by Carl Lewis, amongst others, yeah. yeah. Yes. The, uh, well, you know, did you get wonderful dental work, though, done around about the same time? The, uh, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was it, it, like, the documentary is, is fantastic, if you have, if, for those who haven't seen that, 9.7 is fantastic on, on that whole, whole topic. But that, I, and to expand, the, the asterisk in my head was always, and people said about, ah, but it was drugs, ah, but it was drugs, the, uh, was, yeah, but I still saw a, I, like a human being, run 100 metres in 9.79. So the performance, obviously, illegally done, I will not condoning in any way the use of, of anabolic steroids in the bill of two, a major sporting event. But it was still amazing. Uh, and it was still an incredible event. And I remember that being Erchik. And, and through it all, even, even though there's a couple of fallow years, but like, I mean, the, the, the Christie one, then the Christie getting disqualified. It's just, it's, a, it's pure. It's the greatest piece of theatre. For the shortest actual event, obviously, ludicrously short compared to the 40 minutes of build-up and men staring down the track and, you know, that kind of like, ah, oh, we are all crazy wild uh, racehorses that have to be uh, kept into, into our lines and it's all, you know, we're, we're the most difficult to control animals, we're, we're, we're thoroughbreds, the, uh, which, is, which is a fabulous piece of theatre. I was at the 100 metres final in 2012. Right which I got by simply pressing refresh on the ticket engine for a weekend in my, parent, my parents-in-law's house, um, and then suddenly went, I got tickets to the 100 minutes final. Um, but the seats were behind the start, which sounds great, yeah. and then the race starts, and it's eight men running away from you really quickly. <laughs> Uh, and it's uh, there's no there's no decent view like you can't really get a sense of scale you've no idea who's actually even winning the thing but they just they suddenly run away from you really fast and then they stop and actually it's really underwhelming because you're also wondering should I film it should I watch the screen am I looking at the time what am I doing here and then you've got 10 seconds to choose what you what to focus on if I had it all to do again I'd have watched the series a bit more clearly but I was trying to do everything and then it was over let's go a little bit more local here now because Tip Galway second All-Ireland semi yeah. final today in the hurling Will you be continuing your tradition this year of coincidentally organising gigs in Dublin on All Ireland Hurling Final Weekend? That's, that's nothing to do with Dara. I'm sure I that's just, just a it often quirk seems of to, the calendar. Yeah, exactly. That's what, that the first and third Sundays in Vicar Street have traditionally been set aside. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Booked in perpetuity for uh, Darrow Breed. Actually, even more devious than that, the first and third Saturdays have been booked in. Because I found that the, the thing you don't want to do after an All-Ireland is then go back to Vicar Street and do a gig. <laughs> the, uh, so actually now I just do the Saturday. No, because I'm not on tour this year. However, I am on tour next year and it'll loop around to the following year. So both of those dates have already gone. Yeah, as, as committed as you are to your uh, craft and your, your profession, Dara, there are times maybe after a big sporting event where the stage isn't necessarily where you want to be. Well, uh, you know, it's not like I, I am sufficiently dedicated not 
it, and uh, you're very delicate the way you're saying this, to get hammered in the afternoon <laughs> and then to roll into Vicar Street and, and phone it in uh, or just or relive great moments from the game. <laughs> to a very it's a little like sort of, a, sort of like a Sunday game for the people who have uh, decided to buy a ticket for, for your gig. Exactly, until the Sunday game itself starts, in which case I just go absent for 40 minutes where I rewatch it again and then come back down again for <laughs> the second half, just more tired. The, uh, no, but it is... It does feel like there's a party you were at, and everyone was, was still we're still postmorteming the game, and I got to go off and go to work. So no, this year I haven't contrived the situation for the for the hurling and the football fans, but next year, next year I suspect I will. Our yeah. guest this morning is comedian, writer, TV host Bray Man, and self-styled infamous Brit licker Darrow Breen. What part of your Twitter bio? Well, was that was that, was that part inspired by any specific comment you received over the years? Yeah, yeah, there was a guy. Uh, uh, there was a oh, some idiot of a guy who who who. It was one of my first Twitter fights years ago. Like when I look at me, I've got two thousand followers. Like uh, back in two thousand eight or something. Like that. So one of these real early things. And uh, he was being. A, and one of the things he threw at me goes, uh, "Ashley, you you just licked the Brits." <laughs> the, uh, so it's this Brit licker became. And I, you know, the guiltiest charge I have. Why did, did uh, that get under your skin in some way? You uh, no, I, I I I find that I find. Uh, Irish people who want to take your Irishness away, um, I find, actually, sorry, to be fair, I do find that irritating. I get Irish people who go, oh, you're not Irish anymore, you know, um, kind of a thing, as a, as a member of the, of the diaspora, you know. So, yeah, yeah, that, but that was a, I thought that was a funny one, you're just licking the Brits, so that went, that went in. And the fact that it's, it's just remained there despite it being a joke from 2008, <laughs> and no one really comments on it. Well, Britain has been very welcoming to... Irish comics and uh, and broadcasters Terry Wogan obviously Graham Norton yourself have you any theory on this I don't know if it's something you think about or are asked about but why why we do so well on the BBC we do well we, I, like, I mean numbers wise I'm not sure I suppose the, the, what the comparison is really I mean I think they do they don't regard us as being foreign at all they're sort of you know because we've been around so much and we've been normalised so much um, I mean don't give Wogan, Wogan was fantastic and Wogan walked an incredible line at like imagine the Irish voice on Radio 2 in the heart of the British government through the 1970s you know it was an astonishing balancing act that he did there um, but and, and so they and they and they don't even see him as, as having done anything in any way political he wouldn't even talk if he'd done anything political um, it was uh, they just saw him as this incredibly smooth broadcasting presence and he was very funny and they loved his wit and all that kind of thing so they'd even regard it as strange but he sort of kicked the door down a little bit um, but we're sort of of there and not of there and that's very helpful. You can sort of be, you can sort of be from somewhere else, be abroad, and and be the kind of curious alien looking in. And is, and we can, so, but we're not so foreign that this it rankles in any way. Is the accent an advantage? That it's well, more this, difficult this, to? the good theory that he had, um, and it is quite true that they can't place where we're from. Like they, they like I mean, you you're you're talking to me, and you could you could pitch my school um, to within like at one stretch of road between Bray and, and, and RTE, probably. They, uh, they, uh, they, they have no idea. I could be anything. I'm, it's me, the O'Donovan brothers, uh, Zig and Zag, are all <laughs> the, the same thing, essentially, to them. And that means that you're not... And he, because here there is a lot of, well, you went to this school, you went to that school. I mean, sure, you're, particularly now, it's all about privilege and, and what's your background. And it's, that remains... The cl- class remains this kind of, like, uh, undercurrent in, in British society to a huge extent. The, uh, and we just are outside of that. 
Uh, you wrote in your book in 2010, Dara, I'm Irish, my children will not be. That was my country. They are from somewhere else. They won't be raised Irish in a ludicrous art- artificial holding pattern until they get the chance to go home. They are home. Is that the way you still feel about it now? Yeah, absolutely. But they, but they will assert that anyway. I mean, like, that's, that's the thing. You know, when you have kids, they, they aren't born with some DNA um, crying to be back, you know, on, on, on the turf. Like, they, uh, it's, it's, it's not within them. Like, I mean, I mean don't get me wrong, they'll, they'll wear Ireland jerseys and they'll shout for, for us when we're playing and they're very excited for me, da- for Ireland slash for Daddy uh, if I'm jumping up and down in front of the television. Um, but they, they, they create their own identity. Uh, and so you have to, I think you have to be, let them do that. But it was a line that I used to quite, because I think that's self-evident truth. I'm not the first person to observe that. Like I'm not taking the scales from anyone's eyes there. But it was nice to play with that tension. I used to stand up for the Vicar Street and go, I will love my English child. And even that used to create this weird ripple in the room. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. People knew this. Obviously, you would love your own child. Still, <laughs> still, I will love my English child, I would say. And it just became these beats that I would deliver. Even if he scores the winning goal and that would like by this point Don't there's say a kind it, of a roiling ferment in the room it's for England against Ireland and there's booing uh, <laughs> and then there's a pause and I go it croak park uh, and the notion of even like that was during the debate about whether soccer should be played or not played or whatever but it was it was just fun you could play with that as a, as a tension because it is weird I mean then I had an English friend who said who, who, who sorry an Irish friend again same situation over here settled over here very happily doing very well over here uh, very ha- but still kind of quietly said to me in the bar this is where well I said uh, I don't know what would be more weird to me she said uh, that uh, if I have a child and the child goes hello mummy all right how are you <laughs> Or if my child goes, Mommy, Mommy, Sandra has a pony. I do not have a pony. Why don't I have a pony? She couldn't work out which cartoon English accent you find most foreign in her child. Well, we haven't even got to your own sporting pedigree, Darren. Already, I think you're staking a serious claim to be considered Ireland's greatest non-sports person, sports person. A couple of texts and tweets here. Ben Johnson's still amazing. Hope Paul Kimmage isn't listening. Comes in one. And Aidan Barry says, Second captains, Babington was always cool and tipperary. Both Shane Long and Bubbles O'Dwyer were underage county champions. I'm not surprised to hear this is true. A research team tell me that Shane Long was apparently an excellent badminton player, winning a county under-15 doubles title with local club Grange. Yeah, no, I so remember reading go. this during uh, Euro 20, 2016. His, he was uh, a sporting polymath, by all accounts. Drop us a text, 51551-TWEET, at Second Captains. Up next on Second Captain Sunday, we'll take you on a journey, a wonderful journey, through this sporting life of Darrell Breen. RTE Radio 1. Faustino lovingly select the ingredients that go into ensuring Faustino Gran Reserva is of the highest quality. The soil, the grapes, the blend, the French and American oak, and the winemaking skill of the Martinez family. Now you know why people call Faustino the King of Rioja. Enjoy Faustino responsibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. Today from 11 on RTE Radio 1. Obviously you have a huge listenership, Marion. I'm sure people who are listening in who are married here today have a lot of struggles in their lives and a lot of problems and so on. So I don't think it's necessarily just the answer that if we're all going to be married, everything is going to be lovely in the garden. It's a lonely old life. Yes, I think that the church being open to married clergy would bring in a broader spectrum of people. It would be, I think, a healthier atmosphere. The Marion Finucane Show on RTE Radio 1 with Ireland's saving specialists. RaboDirect, the straight-talking savings bank. RTE Radio 1 Second captain, first captain, whatever. Ryan Watney is going to beat Michael Phelps in this event. 
some of our favourite commentary moments from Rio so far on Setting Captain Sunday with Owen, Ken and Murph. <laughs> Poor old Elliot Friedman mixing up his Michael Phelps's with his Ryan Lochte's. I, I, I just... mean, you know, it, it is like Michael Phelps. I mean, if you get two random competitors mixed up, that's one thing. But literally the greatest sports person we've ever seen. I just love how his voice changes. It goes so deep and, yeah. and gravely serious was, when he's admitted his apology. It sounds like a different apology commentator. Voice. Yeah, Timmy Downtown McCarthy, who's been as great as ever on RT's coverage of the basketball. And going back to London 2012, the voice of the man roaring into the mic as Katie won gold belongs to this morning's guest Dara O'Brien happy memories Dara yeah it was fun. it was, it was a, a bit of a blag to be honest to get into it because um, BBC wanted to find some way to cover it and you know and so they got me and Ed to go along the weird thing about it is they sent us in um, and they couldn't put normal microphones on it because it was too noisy uh, the, the volume of the room was too huge. So they gave us 1950s style um, boxing comedy. You know the ones that have that, like, that lip, that metal lip that <laughs> yeah, sits yeah, yeah. under your nose? And then, and so we had to just do normal, oh my God, this is really good. So, but we're doing it into a mic, so it looked like we were attempting to do actual commentary when we were just <laughs> yelping. Yeah. It was a hell of an event to be at. Yeah, and as a, as a, a brave woman, watching a brave woman winning a gold medal, in that atmosphere as well, Katie's in tomorrow in Rio, and I'm sure, obviously, it's not going to match up to anything like that. What was it? Quite emotional for you? It was. It was. It was if, if I get, a, I got a little bit tearful. I think uh, during the anthem, uh, I've rarely cried on camera. I've kept a firm check of my emotions uh, in in public, uh, but I got a little bit. Aaron Avian did it for me, um, and the Bray thing was sweet as well. Although I didn't know Katie to answer, but back in Bray, uh, and she has bumped me down the list uh, quite <laughs> noticeably. As has Hosier, which is more difficult to take. <laughs> The, uh, and Darren Randolph. So, you know, there was a time where... It you was, even, you're not even in the top three now? I no, mean, I know, I don't, oh, I'm I not even know. meddling in Bray. Uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, and I was like the John the Baptist, I, you know, for a while there. I was the one who, who started this all off, right? The, uh, you know, the, the, uh, you know, ever since Bono moved out, we, we've been feeding him scraps. <laughs> Dara, take yeah. us back and start taking on, taking us on this journey through your your own sport. Oh, listen, how far, sorry. Let, let's go I right back. Competition? I wasn't aware that I was in competition with people. Oh yeah, oh, you're in competition time. with Gabby Logan, a Commonwealth Games gymnast. Gabby yeah. Logan. Probably forget about Gabby, uh, Dara. Yeah, I, I think Gabby will win. Well, she has. Game. Unfortunately, we killed the suspense of this entire slot in our first week by getting Gabby on, but yeah, it's costing you an outrageous score. D- David O'Darty and Des Bishop, two of your uh, fellow comedians, they're in, yeah, they're yeah, in there yeah, as well. Yeah, both of those. Both of those. Peter Coonan and Oscar nominee director Lenny Abrahamson oh god Lenny what has Lenny done sporting wise well he played a game of pool once yeah, that oh, was, man, all right, that was literally a sporting highlight. That so. was about the extent of it. But we'll come to that. So GA was a big one for you. Oh, you said you played football and then took up uh, game yeah, football. Yeah, played, played for uh, Ardmore Rovers in Bray County Wicket, but played under under fourteen. By which time I was in Clawstone in Bootestown, and it was a hurling school and a game football school. So I shifted. I was doing them in school anyway. So I shifted full time to those and played for the uh, glorious Bray Emmets, um, for recent uh, Wicklow hurling champions and. Uh, former All-Ireland football champions in 1902. <laughs> that, that I'm not claiming for myself uh, as my success. Okay, but your position... My greatest success has appeared at, at school level, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll get to those. What, what position did you play? Ah, yeah, now, that ve- veered a lot, right? Because I was... This, I was this size. Like, not, I wasn't heavy, I wasn't fat, but I was, I was tall. 
And if you know you're under HGAA, you could probably guess the numbers already. Three uh, or that, 14, I'm going to say. That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> I was in a period at number three and then through the period at number 14. And it was, it, it's a bizarre thing that I still sort of watch sports in that way that you should put the big lads down the middle uh, and <laughs> let them play. Uh, and it was like, because it, it was two huge lads would negate each other by grappling under a high ball. And I was always one of them. Were you aggressive as the big man? It would have been an onus on you to... No, yeah. No, I was very much a gentle giant. Right. The, uh, and there, there are two stories. One of which is, I believe, completely apocryphal. That I was out with some friends and uh, there were two, two guys, two girls. And I was talking to one of the guys and uh, I said, uh, I actually played football together. And he said, oh, do you remember that time you punched that guy? And I went, no, I, I, I truly don't remember that time I punched that guy. And he, and he turned to the two ladies and he said, oh, we're playing, I don't know, let's, Glen Ely, let's say, let's pick some town of Wicklow. And the guy was niggling at her the whole way through, pulling and dragging at him like whatever. And, and then the ball went down the other end. So the ref went down the other end and Dara just flattened him. One punch, bang, down, right? This never happened. <laughs> uh, and uh, like, it was not in my nature, you know, I do a bit of the, you know, shoulder and rough and all that thing, but there was nothing. Uh, but the two girls looked in a, oh, well, <laughs> so, so I did the, mm, I can either confirm or deny, like, <laughs> rubbish face at that point. It, occasionally we'd play someone like Kill Cool, Bray would play Kill Cool, and one of the lads would start a fight at the other end of the field, like in a minor match. And I could never understand. People would run the length <laughs> to join in for this pride of Bray versus this affront from the people of Kilcool. And I would sit on the ground uh, just enjoying a beautiful summer's evening uh, in Wicklow and talk to whoever was marking me about the leaving cert. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, the J1 or any going away. And, uh, you know... I felt there was more that brought us together than drove us apart. Um, there was only one time, though, yeah. and I offered this up as the one time uh, that I felt it was necessary. And I was in a hurling match, in a hurling final. And it was a good hurling final. This, all joking aside, we won a good hurling final once, our school. We were the first, um, Closho in 1990, we were the first, my sixth year, my team won in the sixth year, we were the first time that our school won Dublin. Uh, and it, we played St. David's Artane uh, in the final. Yeah. And I was number two, actually. I'd been shunted out to the corner. <laughs> um, and uh, the first high ball came in. It was in Croke Park. First high ball came in. Old Croke Park. You know, the real Croke Park before they made it all fancy. <laughs> uh, proper Croke Park. Uh, first high ball comes in. Corner forward leaps up, plucks it out of the air, skins me, possibly scores. I don't quite remember. Maybe scores. Maybe doesn't score. Um and I'm a bit irritated with chagrined by this, right? The, uh, this is even the term which I'm thinking about at the time. I am chagrined by this. Um, did you remember that they used to teach you when you catch a ball, always shield your hand with your hurling? Yes. First yeah. thing. Absolutely the first thing they teach you because otherwise everything is open season and you can go for it, right? The first time this kid did this, he didn't have the hurley up. This basic piece of, of protection he didn't have. And I remember consciously making the decision, I am going to pull on this man's hand <laughs> if he does this again. And this guy, who presumably now somewhere in Dublin, maybe even listening to it this morning, right, probably raising a family, probably a very happy guy, except there are like cold winter nights, you know, where he knows that 
the damp is coming in because you can feel it, you can feel it in that left arm because he went up for it second time to catch it again and I just, like, completely, deliberately just smashed him across the hand. Wow. And and he didn't do nothing for the next 65 minutes. <laughs> nothing. Just, just dropped his coffee cup like he does every morning out of his every narrow morning, half Every hand. morning they go, Jesus, Jesus, Mick, whatever happened to your hands? <laughs> I don't know, just that, an, old, an old sporting injury. Little knowing that I have dined out on this anecdote <laughs> for years. I don't know what I did to him, but the lad, he was, he, he retreated into his shell and I ended up marauding a bit. I was wandering off the pitch, <laughs> knocking the balls off, all over the thing because he was in my pocket where he was scrabbling in my pocket for bandages for his hurt hands but it was completely contrived and I take no joy from it well I don't know it sounds like you're taking a little bit of joy from it all these years later Darren I was that, that's... a professional storyteller I have to sell the story right? yeah. but it's the, it, but it, you know but it comes with a, a, a high toll of guilt the, uh, that I'm not the better person for having done this well that's got to be your highlight of your career then winning that Dublin final Winning the Dublin season, it was the first time the school had won that. Oh, and we were, we were behind as well. We, we were three late goals to win. It was a torrent of late goals. It was a huge achievement. Uh, and But I think the key to it was, doing the entire thing, right? This is, I'm now, I'm owning this now. This, the key to the entire thing was that corner forward, who may have gone on to play minor. We don't know. You can't tell me he didn't. <laughs> that, he, and that he may have had a long and illustrious inter-county career in gloves. But that day, he got a, he just got, you know, it was brutal. It had to be done. Didn't like it up him. No, didn't. Didn't. Backed away from it. Backed away from it. Should have learned the basic skills. That's the first thing <laughs> teaching her like. Did nothing. But I Listen, do you know what? I should check my pockets. He may still be in there. You represented the county as well, we hear. I had briefly, briefly played for Wicklow. And this, the reason, by the way, I'm going to enjoy telling you stories because this pays back on me every time I attend a hurling match where people line up to laugh at me for the for the man in which I take pride in these stories because I've gone up for the match uh, and talked about being a minor hurler for Wicklow and I have suffered because of this at every hurling game oh how are you Wicklow essentially shouted at me every time I go to Crow Park the, uh, but I played half an hour for Wicklow in a minor hurling match once John, legendary Kilkenny hurler John Henderson of the Hendersons uh, was the manager of the time put me on did 30 minutes Clearly, I wasn't good enough. Took me off again, <laughs> uh, and I met him about two years ago because he's still involved in my local club, Bray Emmett. And he was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." And I said, "Do you not remember that me at all?" He said, "I don't at all." I said, "I think it's very funny that you still talk about it, but I don't remember you at all." Do you play any sport now, Dara? And I, I have to say that presenting Robot Wars doesn't strictly count. It as doesn't sport. count. No. Does it? It no. doesn't count. It's near the Olympics. It is uh, Olympics for people with soldering irons. But the uh, no, the closest I get occasionally, I occasionally get out on the bike um, and uh, do do that middle aged man thing. But I st- but I had to. Um, I the last time I did it, uh, I went because I'm very near Richmond Park, which is kind of this kind of circuit that is just completely dominated by cyclists, uh, by men of my age on on ludicrously expensive bikes, slowly going round uh, the track because cars can only drive at 20 miles an hour, so it's owned by bikes basically. Uh, and I did one of these things where you do a few laps of it. And I did I did an extra lap of it, which is about seven miles of a thing, and was aching and was going to a thing that evening, aching after having done a tiny bit too long of a cycle, and Chris Hoy was there. <laughs> And I went up, I actually went up to Chris Hoy and said, oh, hello, we shook hands and all that. And I said, oh, I'm in bits, Chris. 
do a big bike ride today <laughs> and explain to Chris about the lactic acid in my thighs <laughs> and how much he was hurting while Mrs. Chris Hoy just stood with her eyes rolling going another <laughs> fat middle-aged man is explaining to my husband <laughs> about how difficult cycling is yeah and god love after the thing i, I felt like and then that later that even we got, got, got a country by twitter and i said i'm dreadful <laughs> about that and chris hollywood that's okay it's like if i came up to you and told a joke and i said but you didn't chris <laughs> 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 All right, Murph, I don't want to say that Gabby Logan's status as Ireland's greatest ever non-sports person, sports person, is under threat, but you've heard the man here. There's a hell of a lot to work with as we rank this sporting life. Get ready for it, Tara, of Darrow Breen. You don't understand. I could have had class. We don't have stars in this game, Mrs. Weaver. What do you have, then? People like me. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So the top five at the moment has Lenny just happy to be here, Abrahamson, at uh, 70 points. Last week's guest, Peter Coonan, on 71 points. Third is Des Bishop on 77 points. Second uh, is David O'Doherty on 85 points. And still on top is uh, the seemingly unassailable Gabby Logan on uh, 88 points. So the categories are as follows, Dara. The sporting highlight of your career, your current sporting ability, and your overall sporting knowledge. So your sport... Okay, your sporting highlight... So to play, a, I mean, I know you want to talk about Claude Stone, but honestly, I really feel that to play a, a bit of minor for the county is the ultimate badge of honour in our sport. It's much better than playing a bit of senior for the county. because. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, see, Dara, playing a bit of minor suggests a whole ocean of unfulfilled potential, a vast <laughs> reservoir of bad decisions that meant you never went on to explore the outer limits of your ability. It basically gives you free reign as you have done, to speculate on just how good you could have been. Oh my God, you're asking, this is like when you had to play five side the blockers well, I had a few trials for Crystal Palace <laughs> yeah. back in the day. Yeah, so oh, I'm going oh, to give you 90 points Whoa. for uh, hurling bad boy Darrow Breen. <laughs> Thank uh, you very much. Current sporting ability, well, once a wristy hurler, always a wristy hurler, so <laughs> you could probably still do a job on the edge of the square, either square, in the Wicklow Junior A Hurling Championship. You don't even need two working knees for that, I reckon. Uh, robot wrangling is not in the Olympics, so it gets you zero points, but cycling does. So I'm going to say 60 points in total there. Jesus. And finally, your overall sports knowledge. The BBC's finest sports reporter during London 2012, Barron the keenest hurler on a foreign ditch, the best-informed celebrity Arsenal fan since Spike Lee cancelled his season <laughs> ticket. That is an impressive range of knowledge, so I'm going to give you 90 points for that as well. So that's a total of 80 points across the three disciplines, which is good enough for bronze position, Derek. Congratulations, you're an inspiration Thank to you. us all. That uh, is it, to have made the podium. Honestly, it's been a lifetime's work. Um, <laughs> but to have finally paid off. All uh, that effort is worth it. Listen, you've yeah, been All of it is. All that ditch work, all that just attending shit, that, <laughs> that's finally paid off. You've been absolutely amazing this morning, i got to say. And well done on that strong showing in your sporting life. Round of applause, lads. Darrow Breen. Thanks, Darrow. Mainly, by the way, it's just nice to be beaten Dez. <laughs> because that will matter to Dez. And that's just really the goal there. Thank you so much, Dara. Brilliant to talk to you this morning. A pleasure. Thanks, my friend.
You're listening to Second Captain Sunday with Owen Murphy and Ken, just like honey by the Jesus and Mary chain. And before that, Darrow Breen charmed us all. What a great guy and what a competitor in his hurting days, mm. apparently. I mean, he seemed to stay away from the mass brawls, but if you get in his bad side, watch out because you are going to take a wild pull across the knuckles. I mean, I, I don't think that we should condone such sort of behaviour. No, but if you think you might have been that victim that Dara was talking about, you would have been a corner forward, I guess. Dara said he was corner back, yeah. did he, that day? So if you're a corner forward on the St. David's Artane team, beaten by Cloche Stone in the 1989... And you've got a hook final, for a hand. And you've got yeah. a hook for a hand. Maybe someone set your radio to RT Radio 1 eight years ago and you haven't been able to change. I mean, not that you would want to change, of course. Of course, Radio yeah. Email us at captains. Email us at rte.ie or tweet at captains if that is you or if you know the person who Dara might have been talking about Dennis Kavanagh got in touch to say lads Peter Coonan got screwed last week as Murph can't add his average score <laughs> was 74 not 71 check the tape alright Dennis thanks for the heads up let's check the tape uh, first up the sporting highlight of your career 82 points for that uh, current sporting ability is going to have to be just 60 points for that and uh, finally your overall sports knowledge 81 points for that as well so if you'll just allow me a moment here carry the one yes that is 71% 71% mm. <laughs> 71% you say Murph I'm doing the sums here 82 okay. plus 60 plus yeah. 81 equals 223 divide yeah. that by 3 equals 74 Murph you are incorrect listen I, I'm, Dennis it's not my right. job to sit here and tot up figures well maybe that's like 70% of my job but the other 40% of my job has absolutely nothing to do with that so if we could just move on on please I mean listen a mistake was made okay I hold my hands up Let's move on. Dick Spring, I know you're listening and I apologise on Murph's behalf. That sort of error is not representative of what we do on this programme. Please come on the show anytime. It's just not I'll parliamentary. Uh, Murph, we'll be chatting to Natalia Coyle very shortly. She's a big hope for the modern pentathlon in Rio. I'm going to wager that not every single listener to us this morning is going to be a modern pentathlon aficionado. So maybe explain to everybody what's involved in the sport. Well, yeah, it consists of fencing, 200 metre freestyle swimming, show jumping and a final combined event of pistol shooting and a cross-country run. So it's basically... Two ways of killing people and three ways to escape. <laughs> That's the modern pentathlon. Right, I like it. Ken, you were up late last night watching the Cold War continuing in the pool. Yes, uh, Yulia Efimova was in the relay against Lily King. They were, I mean... Russia v. America. Russia v. America. Now, America won. They stomped on Russia yet again. Uh, the, there was an interesting um, little part of it, though, where they were up against each other, these two swimmers who have been at war. Uh, we're up against each other in the breaststroke, and Yulia Efimova absolutely buried Lily King. A pity that she couldn't uh, produce this performance. Pity from her point of view that she couldn't produce this performance in the actual individual event. But uh, so, yeah, Lily King has been openly bringing up Efimova's d- doping past. Yeah, I mean, she called her a drug cheat openly, and and she really she really went to town on her in a way that you don't often see. I mean, I guess this is what happens when the trust in the institutions breaks down you know you can't trust the authorities to actually enforce the law so people start to resort to their own sort of social measures it's a bit like you know boycotting in 19th century ireland you know you don't trust the you don't trust the law to actually enforce the law so um so people start doing it themselves in a kind of vigilante basis so fmova has has borne the brunt of that but you know there were two uh, positive doping tests she said well what about michael phelps he's had a couple of suspensions that's true. Uh, not for performance-enhancing drugs, though, for the other kind. Let's get over to Brazil to check in with Ireland's modern pentathlete, Natalia Coyle. Natalia, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing this morning? I'm very good. I'm very good. I hope you're excited about your event. I mean, I know you're a few days out yet. Maybe tell us exactly where you are in the world, first of all. So I'm in Uberlande, which is about an hour above Rio. It's the Team Ireland holding camp. So we've been here for 
about two weeks and um, we're heading up to the village and um, later on today yeah, uh, I'm going to say maybe you're, it's not the sort of real Olympic buzz that uh, <laughs> people from here are expecting you to be on when you're kind of an hour and a half away from Rio. And yeah, definitely. Like, we're it's very chilled out here, which is really nice because people are back home, like, right, so it's a bit of a party in the village and because we're on so late, you have to kind of keep focus on and the blinkers on. So it's really good to have um, a place like this to come to because you've got some serious training in over here. And it's actually a bit hotter than it is in Rio. So it's nice when we go down, it won't feel as hot either. You can't be doing too much hard training over there, surely, though, so close to the uh, competing in the actual event. Well, we've been here for two weeks now. So the first week was really, really tough, um, especially getting used to the heat. And then the first part of this um, last week was tough. And then we start tapering off. It's about a week to go 